This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Fangirls Podcast, where two sisters dive deep into beloved fantasy lore, characters, themes, theories, and more. For today's bonus episode, we're taking a short break from Navarre as we interview the best-selling author, (laughs) Jennifer L. Armentrout. I'm not screaming, you're screaming. (laughs) You know her as the author of the From Blood and Ash and Flesh and Fire series. She just released her 69th book, Nice Fire in the Flesh, which is the third book of the Flesh and Fire series. She is a queen of dark fantasy romance, and we are so excited she's joining us on our show today. When we got that email, I'm pretty sure I threw up in a corner. I was like, there's no way this is real life. So we are so excited. We're so jazzed to have her on the show. Before we start, the interview however slightly different content warnings than usual today's episode is mostly spoiler free no real plot spoilers from jennifer's books are uttered in this conversation we talk in very general terms about characters and locations but there are no plot spoilers also because we are not navarre today we do not have any spoilers for fourth wing or iron flame you get the point we are spoiler free next warning you know the drill we are adults who say adult things about adult books I may or may not have asked Jennifer L. Armentrout the origin story of Honeydew. That is why we are in an adult content podcast here, friends. And now, let us interview this queen or princess, if you know you know, of romanticy. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Fangirls podcast, Jennifer L. Armentrout. That's a cool sentence to say. (laughs) So while many of our listeners are already familiar with you and your books, we'll love to kick this off with a quick introduction about you and what's new right now. First off, I want to say thank you guys for having me on today. I'm the author of I think Flesh and Fire, Fire in the Flesh, (laughs) maybe if I could say the title correctly, is my 69th book that has come out. I find that to be a very corporate number. Um, (laughs) (laughs) book. I write across multiple genres. I've written in young adult, new adult, and adult. I've written paranormal, contemporary, mystery and suspense, and of course, fantasy. So my backlist is quite extensive. (laughs) So I feel like for the most people, if there's something there, you will like to read hopefully so wow your 69th book how did you get into writing when did you get into writing to sound cliche I wanted to be a writer since I was a teenager and I wrote my first book in algebra class during algebra class which is why I had to take remedial math in college 
So I do not recommend that you do that. I actually had to retake an algebra one as well because I was writing too many fan fictions. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm not ever going to be adding up letters. So it's like, I checked out immediately. So, but once I got into college, I went to college for like psychology and sociology with a criminal justice focus then a psych just a main psychology focus. I feel like a lot of times when you go to college, it's like really hard to read for enjoyment at that point because there's so much mm -hmm. having to read. But also it's like you're you want to be going out and doing things in college too. Yeah. So it wasn't until like the like I think they call them the aughts now. <laughs> I feel so old. The two thousands, <laughs> the aughts. I was like, uh, I was like, I don't I know. Like, yeah, the aughts. Yeah, I, I think it's the two thousand. And maybe it's the next ones and I'm wrong about that in the next decade. It wasn't until late 2000s that I had decided I want to try to do this. It's something I've always wanted to do. And it took a long time for me to like, you know, put it out in su submission because then it was real. You know, it wasn't just something I was passing time with. So yeah, I started my journey in like 2008, 2009 timeframe. Um, and then my first book ended up coming out in 2011. So it's been a little bit over, what, it's 12 years now. It's been a busy 12 years, <laughs> but it's been a lot of fun. And for those who are, like, interested in the writing or technical side of it with publication, I'm what they call a hybrid author. And that means I have, like, active contracts with the New York publishers. There's four of them now, I think. And then I also publish with, like, small presses or independent presses. And sometimes I will self-publish. So that's usually the different methods that I do. So I do a mix of everything. Do you have a, a personal preference of your or a favorite type? Um, there's really no actual preference for me. It all depends on what type of book I'm writing. So for me, if it's a young adult, I typically will go the traditional route because teens still really buy, they like physical copies, which is so odd um, because their own phones and stuff, you would think they'd be reading a lot of eBooks, but. I would have thought that, yeah. yeah. But I think it's because for school, when they're studying or reading, they're reading, um, you know, a physical book. So traditional publishers are really, keep in mind, is always an outlier. This isn't the same for everybody. But they have, um, you know, better distribution with YA, but also you almost always need like a traditional publisher to get into libraries, like school districts, things like that with YA. Mm -hmm. And so that is, you know, so depending on the genre is how I decide. Romance, I tend to want to do like indie publishing on um, yeah. because it's publishing always has like a hard time on how to market it. You know, it's something that you think they would have gotten a grasp on better. But um, so it just really, for me, it depends on the genre. Other than, you know, maybe like an algebra trope, what's your favorite trope to read? And then <laughs> what's your favorite trope to write? Yeah, an algebra trope. That would be <laughs> leaning over X yeah, plus right Y. Yeah, just be like, nope. I think my favorite trope is probably the same one I like to write, which is um, like enemies to lovers. I, I think that yeah. always, yeah, has the best chance for banter at that point. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you have the push and pull effect more in that. What about to read? Or is that, um, or is it, it it's a thing. Yeah. It, it's, oh, okay, perfect. I'm a sucker for that type of trope. And like real enemies. like And, and, th and this is no shade, like, against like the enemies to lovers trope in contemporary, but I'm not like talking about like, oh, this is a rival coworker. No, like give me like assassins <laughs> plotting <laughs> against one another. Like I like there to be like stakes, like like life and death stakes type of thing. 
Love it. Well, that's what makes it extra interesting, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then for someone new to your your book series, I know there's multiple series, but we had a lot of our um, listeners ask, you know, what is the best order for them? They want to start your series. They want to start getting immersed in your Mm -hmm. universe. And I've read online that to essentially do like a dual reading between these two series, what do you recommend? So if you were, if you like fantasy, I would recommend you start with From Blood and Ash. Now, well, that's not necessarily true. Let me back up for a second. You can read Flesh and Fire before reading From Blood and Ash. It's not really going to spoil anything. However, it probably will allow you to pick up on things probably a lot quicker because you will have the backstory and you would know what's happening. So the sixth book, I believe, in the Blood and Ash series is yet to come out. So the Flesh and Fire series will be finished before that book comes out. So you could read the Flesh and Fire series um, first and then jump into From Blood and Ash. So that starts with A Shadow in the Ember. But again, if you wanted to start with From Blood and Ash, you can start with that and then go back and read the Flesh and Fire. So it, it really depends on like, you know, what you're kind of in the mood for. The Flesh, the Blood and Ash series, I will say is a larger series. It's more of the world um, in that series. You see a lot of the kingdoms. You see like the Wolven, which I know a lot of people like, but you don't see in Flesh and Fire. But the Flesh and Fire, you see all the Drakens, which are the dragons. So it's like you have to like. I love the Drakens. Yeah. yeah. And, and you may eventually see them pop up in um, the Blood and Ash series. But uh, yeah, so it depends on like what you're in the mood for. Like kind of. I do say the uh, Blood and Ash world, I feel like is larger just because there's a lot more traveling. You're going to different places than you do in the Flesh and Fire series. Amazing. Very cool. Because that was what I had been learning. I've only read uh, the very first from Blood and Ash book. And then it's like, okay, great. So I got like all of like, I had no spoilers. And it was like, oh, like, oh, and I'm not going to say anything on here because it's spoiler free, but oh. (laughs) And then I had seen actually is to then start reading the Flesh and Fire books because then that kind of builds in more of that world building, even though it it takes place, what, a a few thousand years before from Blood and Ash, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like a prequel. Now, eventually, like, there's going to be some merging eventually, I foresee in that. But like, yeah, so it's a prequel. It's basically the reason I wrote this series is because I got to the point in Blood and Ash where, you know, I knew that I needed to explain like the background of the gods and why don't you see the faces of the primal of life or the god of life. Mm-hmm. And I, I always knew in my head, like the truth behind that. And I was getting to the point in the series where I was going to have to explain that. And I thought, as I fleshed out that backstory, it was very interesting to me. And I could either sh- like basically info dump this, this backstory into Blood and Ash, or I could actually show the readers what had happened. Because I feel like if I just did the info dump, it's like you lose a lot of the emotion in that. Like you, it just loses a lot of context. Like you just, yeah. and it's hard to understand like when someone's telling you, oh, they had to do this. And of course, yeah. it is something that you would be like, why would you do that though? It's different when you actually read why certain decisions were made and choices. So that's when I decided to write that. I feel like most people, it's like you, most of the authors, like we tend to never write a prequel mm-hmm. until we're writing the current series, which it'd be great if we got those ideas in different orders. <laughs> 
Well, out of curiosity, is it easy to write these two? Like, I don't know if you are writing the Six for Blood and Ash right now, but like, would it be easy to write these two worlds in tandem since they are in the same universe? I know you also just had a brand new book with a brand new universe just come out, which I believe I heard in an interview you were writing at the same time as Flesh and Fire. Like, is it easy to write in the same or different universes? It's There's pros and cons to it. When it's within the same universe, it's like, or the same, basically the same series. And I do combine Flesh and Fire and Blood and Ash as the same series in my mind. So when I say same series and talk about like both of them, it is a little bit harder because you have to remember like which timeline you're in. <laughs> it's like, like, <laughs> like, has something been introduced yet? And you can only remember even something I've created. I can only remember so much. And, you know, we do have Bibles is what they call them of like that copy editors usually create that kind of lists certain things that you have put in, into a book. And that's for the author. It's also for them when they're checking for continuation and making sure you're not writing a plot hole. But it, that's a little bit harder because yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, man, wait, what book is this in? <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit, wrong book. <laughs> Do you know how long your Bible is for oh, it's the for Blood and Ash? I was going to say, I can only imagine. It is. I printed it out and stopped like halfway through because I was like, okay, this is, I'm going to run out of ink. <laughs> I was like, it's so big. <laughs> yeah. And after a certain point, like, oh man, I think about like the, the control F, like yeah, that's certain right. functionality. Yeah. It's just like, oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Yes. And I have sometimes like the Bible is so big, it can get a little bit cumbersome to search through. So I usually sometimes just give up and go to the book and do control F because <laughs> I'm just like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> Like, and just look for it. Yeah. (laughs) It is a lot. And, you know, and I think readers a lot of times think that, like, the author remembers everything. And I I do think on my earlier books and there for the longest time, like, I could just remember, like, all these different series. But after a while, it's like, you just try to retain, like, what you're writing at that moment. Like, like when I was doing promo for um, Fall of Rune and Wrath. I was, I started writing the final book in the Flesh and Fire series, and that's what I'm finishing up now. And it was so hard to switch, like, because I've already at that point forgotten everything it felt like what was in that book. <laughs> it's like, because I had to switch my head so much um, yeah. to a different thing. And it is hard, yeah, like when you're in a different a book, like to have to then talk about like another book. I am lucky right now that I, I'm still in the Flesh and Fire that it's easy for me to talk about it. But again, I have to be careful that I'm not talking about what is actually in the current book that I'm working on. I was just about to ask that question because, and Nicole knows this, I am really bad about saying spoilers. Like if I'm reading a book ahead of her <laughs> or something me crazy. like that. And, and I don't think I'm saying a spoiler, but apparently it is a spoiler. And it's like, wow, how do you keep track of that? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is hard. Like, I have to stop sometimes and be like, Ugh, you know, but it's funny. I'm probably like you where I like spoilers don't personally bother me. Like, I don't. It's been very few times that I've seen a spoiler for something and then I didn't watch the the, sh- the movie or show or didn't read the book. Yeah. But also there's a lot of things that people consider spoilers that I don't like. I know some people who are like, I don't even want to know if something cool happens in this chapter. And I'm just kind of, you know, I saw like that's years ago. Yeah. And I'm always like, that's not really, you don't know what's going to happen though. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, but I get it. Well, the flip side is because now you're like, well, I know something's going to happen. Um, it always but, helps because yeah. I'm normally a book or so ahead of Lexi. You know, it's the coolest thing I feel about fantasy is that fantasy books have a long tailwind, um, meaning they continue and not always, but sometimes you get lucky and they continue to sell years later. 
at a higher than normal sales volume for something that has been out for a couple of years. But what happens then is that you have these new readers coming in who have kind of scanned the reviews on all the books, right? So they're so confused. I have a Facebook group that a lot of the readers are in, and there'll be some people who are reading it, though, who will, like, do a post and be like, oh, like, keep reading. Um, but yeah, it's like, I don't know how people, um, you know, when they, they do buy the, I guess they probably either like the first book and then maybe just buy the next book without really reading the description and the blurb because if you really don't like to be spoiled you almost have to do it that way because yeah eventually it's like you can you know when we do the blurbs or the publisher does the blurbs like they try not to spoil the previous books but there always gets to a point in a series where it's like the, the blurb will just be like buy my book like you can't say <laughs> anything so you have to yes. not, like you're like okay well you shouldn't be looking at book four if you haven't read book one like, at that point you're just choosing yeah. violence yeah. so like that's your own fault like, <laughs> like, yeah, like, I can't even I can't help you help yourself don't look at this book like some people do and so but there's little that you can do at that point about that yeah well speaking of the book community we opened up to our community of what questions do you guys want to hear from Jennifer we actually got a lot of them so we picked some really some some highlights okay, it said we had um covered some of your super fans and so we reached out to them personally and they were so excited to be part of this so from cassie what helps you write and get the creative juices flowing i think for me it's just it's the most unmotivational thing i can ever say to a person because i think like everybody thinks that like oh you write for like this i don't know inspiring reason but in reality i bore very easily and so writing entertains me. So like yeah. I, I do have like ADHD. If you see how I move constantly, taking glasses off, putting them on, very fidgety. So like I, I'm, I have to get something and do something that keeps my attention. So I'm a type of person mm-hmm. that cannot sit still. Like I, if people follow me who are on, listen to this podcast, you might have seen that I repainted like fireplaces. That's what I do. Like and I'll do that. People are like, how do you have time to do that? I was like, I was up until three o'clock in the morning hating my life. Because for some reason, I didn't want to sit still for an hour and go to bed at a normal time. I decided to do this instead. But like, for me, it entertains me. But also, I've always believed books are escape for people. They're like little lifelines that are thrown out to people who may not need it. So they just use an escape. But then for other people, it's like life preservers that keep them afloat until they, you know, are in a better place to get help or to address maybe whatever is happening in their life. And writing books are the same way where it's like, sometimes I just need an escape from the real world. I feel like that's constant nowadays where you just like, I have to, I just have to escape from everything that's happening. You know, at other times it's, you know, you just be in a bad headspace, but you can not really worry about that right now and disappear into this world. So that is really what drives my, to write. And in terms of my creativity, Things just pop into your head. You can see a commercial and hear a song. Like the Blood and Ash books, like I got the idea for those books while watching the 2016 Summer Olympics. I'm going to need some connecting of the dots there, Me too. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like trying to, it's like, okay, what happened at the 2016 Olympics? Nothing. There there was, that's when we learned that obviously Atlantia is like the play of Atlantis, right? So it's like, yeah. I guess Atlantia was discovered during that. <laughs> like, it just, no, there's, I have no idea. To this day, I cannot answer why. And honestly, I only, I'm one of those people that only watches like certain things on the Olympics, like the gymnastics, I'm there. And honestly, I think that's about it. <laughs> it's like, as a kid, I wanted to be a gymnast so bad. 
And that's, that's just the ability to have your body spring 20 feet into the air. <laughs> like, it's just, right. like, mind-boggling to me. I don't know why any of that gave me the idea. So it's really hard to say, like, where do I get the ideas? They just come to you. And yeah. then it becomes the game of, do I explode that father, like, further? Or do I just put that away? Because it's not going to work. It's weird. Or I'm weird. <laughs> Going off of that, you know, like not only just like how do you not, not not coming up with the ideas, but how do you keep yourself organized? Do you have like a crazy wall with a maps and note cards and all of that? Or do you the have like tape, or you is know? your computer just like has your entire universe all is, is it as organized as we might think it is? Or <laughs> and so for the world that I'm working in, I do use heavily Apple Notes. <laughs> And journals, like I do have journals and many of them I never touch, I buy and I'm like, oh, it's pretty. And then I don't use it. <laughs> but then I have certain ones that I do like to use for plotting out the last part of a book. Like usually when I get mm -hmm. to like the end of the middle, I do have to sit down and start plotting because that's where you typically get a little bit lost in the sauce of doing things. And you are kind of mm -hmm. like, oh shit, this book's 200,000 words and I'm nowhere near the end of this book. <laughs> and that's when you have to stop and be like, okay, what needs to happen? Um, so I do have journals for that, but I just use mostly notes because it's everywhere. It's on your phone. If something pops in your head, um, it's on your computer. It's like, so I do a lot of keeping track of things in there, like in Blood and Ash, obviously Poppy tastes people's emotions. So yes. I, there's only certain emotions that I can remember off the top of my head even now. <laughs> like that I'm, and sometimes I do remember, but I'm not confident that I'm right. So, like, every time I start a new book in the Blood and Ash series, I bring over that ability sheet. And so just to make, because it's easy, I can just literally just flip right down at the bottom and go look and be like, oh, yes, concern is, like, big green. <laughs> and so it's, like, it's stuff like that where it's, like, sometimes I do remember it, but I'm not 100% confident in that I do. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, on that same note, then I have a question around that poppy power. I I'm do like, like the poppy taste. power. <laughs> the puppy power. Power. Like, like power puff right there. Yeah. <laughs> How do you come up with the taste for these emotions? Because as I'm reading Blood and Ash, like she'll say like chocolate and berries, and I'm like. I can feel that. Yep, I, I resonate with that. You know, I'm, how do you come up with those? So I approached it. What would I think it tasted like for certain things? And then for ones I wasn't sure, I would look at foods associated with love or with or um, comfort. Like I would, I would kind of for things I wasn't sure, I would, I would look that way too. Or um, I'm a lot of my stuff is like heavily Greek inspired, like Greek mythology. So if I really get stuck, then I'll say, okay, love, I'll go look at Aphrodite and look at symbols. And when you start falling down some rabbit holes, you'll see that there are, and there's some rabbit holes plummet into with Greek mythology. We are familiar with those rabbit holes. Yeah. <laughs> like, this podcast. I, I can yeah. only imagine world, how as an it, author, yes. Yeah. <laughs> can't, like, people run away from gods and turning themselves into trees. It is like, <laughs> I'm not sure what that's supposed to teach me. But like, yeah, it's so I, I will look even at that. 
because sometimes you can find things. But most of them, I kind of thought, what would that feel like? What would that taste like? Like, I always thought like fear would have like there would be like a bitterness, like uh, mm-hmm. or like a sourness that you would probably taste. And one of the, one of the reasons why I chose that as a way to do it is because one thing in books as an author, it's like you have to remember like there's just more than one sense of talking and hearing and speaking, and you always have to like there's smells, there's taste, there's and sometimes as you're writing, you forget that oh, do they smell anything right now? Do they taste anything? And that's where one of the ideas that came to me is like, oh, I think people can relate emotions to taste and things like that. So that is kind of where I came up with that. But like concern, I thought would be like, like you would, when you're concerned, you feel heavy, weighed it down, anxiety. You know, so it's like kind of looking at how you feel and what type of foods I could associate with that or tastes I could associate with it. That's brilliant. Well, okay. So speaking of your characters, who are some of your favorite characters to write and why? And spoiler free. Yeah. Yeah. If we're able to. (laughs) I feel like I like all my characters and I hate them all equally. Basically, you ask the question about where where I'm at in writing the book. If I'm starting at writing it, I love them. They're so great. And then if I'm where I'm at now, I'm like, I'm just going to kill all of them. Every single one. Spoiler. (laughs) It's like twists. Now you have a whole new book. I have to ask you this. Have you ever gotten so mad at a character yourself that you actually did kill them off? I have. I don't know if I could say that, but I have like, actually, no, because there, there has been characters that like, I was like, oh, I'm going to kill this character off. But then when I get to that point, I'm like, I realize that doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't have the emotional impact for that character. And then I have to kill one of the ones I don't actually want to kill off because I enjoy their character. Um, Mm -hmm. some people who have read my older books probably literally know characters I'm talking about, but, and that's a little bit hard, like, just because you're like, oh man, I enjoy writing that character. But in terms of characters, you know, I do enjoy writing my main characters, but I do have fun with the side characters because like, they are almost like, I don't want to say like a comedic break, but like, I like to have the side characters really have their own personalities. And I don't really realize it as I'm writing them, like. I don't want to say they don't matter, right? But it's like, I'm not really focused on them as much as I am the main characters. But then the readers will really latch on to these characters that you really didn't think of. Like, you weren't thinking a lot about them. And I think a lot of times it's because those characters do have, like, either humor or, like, really sarcastic, really dry personality. I know a lot of people like Karen for that because he is, like, the perpetual babysitter. Like He's my favorite. He needs a raise for all he has to deal with. Um, <laughs> But then there's a character, Reaver, who you do get to see younger. And and him and Jadis are like younger Drakens or dragons. And like, I model them after my dogs, how they behave, like with their other Draken form of just chaos ensues. Um, but those are the type of characters that I do really enjoy because it's more of like fun writing because it's like, I get to write them in as a like a little break from seriousness that's happening. Like yeah. That. Well, from Christine, what what gave you the idea for the for Blood and Ash slash Flesh and Fire universe? I was watching the 2016 Olympics. Oh, that's that, right. Yes. Yeah. It took me three years to write that book because I was a bit intimidated by writing high fantasy because I hadn't written it before. And it is a lot different than writing like what I call contemporary fantasy, like my Dark Element series or the Covenant series, where it's like you have, especially the Dark Elements more so, because that is the world we live in, but there are gargoyles and people are aware of them and it's okay. 
And because you have, you're using the world we exist in as your backdrop. So you're not having to explain anything. But when you do epic fantasies, it's like every little tiny piece of knowledge that you normally would not think twice about, you do have to think about because it's like, how do they communicate? How do they travel? Can you really send shit by carrier pigeon? I know it's a thing, but I'm like, I don't understand how that happens. Like, I, I want to know how these pigeons yeah. are taught. Yeah. And owls as well. Yeah. Yes. No, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, and it's, it's stuff like that where you do have to like take into consideration. And that is intimidating because it's like, you can have a great like characters and whatever, but have a world that makes absolutely no sense. That can be very distracting to a reader. So it took a while for me to flesh it out and to write it. And, as I was writing the Blood and Ash series, that's when I decided that I needed to write Flesh and Fire um, because instead of just doing the info dump of their backstory, I wanted right. to know it. Yeah. And do you have any specific examples of real life experiences that have contributed to the shaping of this universe? How many times have you been in Atlantis, Jennifer? (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny because like I always feel like Disney has ruined the myth of Atlantis because everybody thinks of it as like mermaids or some shit floating around down there. Or even like I think I don't know if Aquaman is based on Atlantis myth either. I'm not sure. I think so. Yeah. I and say that with of, very little confidence, though. Yeah, but I, I just know it, of it as that one, like, cartoon movie where they're looking for Atlantis, and I don't remember anything else besides yeah, that. Yeah, like, I think Atlantis, Atlantis is your Atlantis. Yeah, yeah I think <laughs> it's Atlantis, always underwater. Yeah, it's because it's sunk into the sea. Like, it, yeah. people didn't thrive that. <laughs> like, if no. Atlantis existed, which supposedly it did. Like, I don't know. I think probably what happened is that there was something like Atlantis that existed. And because, you know, when you look back at ancient texts, like they describe things in such fanciful ways that like it's easy to interpret certain things. But yeah, that's what Disney did. It completely changed them. I feel like it was Disney because I remember one of them had like a bubble over it or something. Yep. Those people were dead. <laughs> like, you know, like they sunk into the ocean. I think I remember falling down this like rabbit hole of it where they do believe that there probably was another nearby island or something. And then based on the writings, and it has something to do with, I think, that, oh my gosh, the pillars of something, um, that there probably was a earthquake that destroyed most of that island. That something similar to that did exist, but it probably wasn't as we know today, Atlantis. But yeah, Disney completely has everyone believe in, they're like mer people living under the sea or something, which... I just imagine what Greek mythology would have, the Greek people back home would have called that. There, but like, there's not enough insane stuff happening for that to yeah. be, to keep our attention. But yeah, it, I was very inspired by that and in shaping, and I've always been a fan, fascinated with that. So that helped shape a lot of that. So I think that could be my only like experience really is my fascination with Greek mythology. Yeah. But there, there are small things like that. Of course. Thing. Like Syrah in Flesh and Fire deals with anxiety. And I have anxiety. And so, I mean, in, in depression. So she kind of deals with both because those two disorders. And that's what I went to college for. Psychology yeah. are often hand in hand. And you don't know if, often as a psychologist or psychiatrist. It's like you have to figure out what, which one is the main one, right? Because sometimes, not always, one is causing the other. Because you want to address that main one first because you treat the symptoms but not the just you know it's like you're not getting anywhere and that's something I have experience with and right now I'm like I don't believe you if you say you don't have anxiety at this point like 100 percent yeah or like what drugs are you on and can you share because <laughs> give me a you, list like <laughs> it's working um but uh it's you know 
because I feel like being said is that there for the longest time. And even now, I think we are getting better. But whenever you would have a character who would have like chronic disease or disorder, whether it be mental or physical, that is in books, the sum of who they are. It's like in, you know, and a lot of times when you read books that would have mental health things in it is everything is shown as toxic or like how the mental health ruined this, how it shaped that. And it's like, what kind of message are we sending people like that? It's like, if you have depression, anxiety, if you have bipolar, borderline, something like that, it's like, you're never going to have a happy, you know, you're never going to have a relationship. And, you know, what I wanted to show in that is that like, you can have this and still be a badass. Like you can still go out there and fight because it's a part of who you are. It's not the sum of who you are. And I do think we're getting better on that. But if you really stop and think about over the last several decades, like how many books had characters in it who had that was, and it was a romance, meaning it had a happily for now or happily ever after. And it wasn't like incredibly toxic or like, just, we didn't see it. And I do, again, think we're getting better, but I think that's a little bit of me experiences and also coming from a psychology background. It's like, I do, do think that helps reduce this a little bit, just a tiny bit. Absolutely. Well, and I see that in Poppy's superpower Mm because like that, I I won't spoil it, but that is something that as someone who does very much have similar tendencies, I've never seen a character be represented as a female main character with that, nevertheless, even as a superpower. And so to be able to see that as such a like, no, this is massively beneficial. That was just like, oh my God, so cool to read. And I think with Poppy, it's like, it can be overwhelming to her because I imagine it's like yeah. an empath, right? A person who's yeah. just really in tune to other people's feelings. It's like that is has to be overwhelming. You know, I it do is. think <laughs> and in the Blunt Ash world, you do see that when it starts to become too much. And yeah. and then in the, the Flesh and Fire of Sarah, it's her learning certain techniques and how to recognize like when what we would call an anxiety attack because you know in a fantasy world they wouldn't probably call it a panic attack something like that but learning to recognize that and because you know there are coping things that can be beneficial like keeping busy um as as long as it's keeping busy doing healthy things you know right (laughs) and so it's learning how to cope you know with that kind of stuff so this is something I always try to work in there because it's something I just don't think again that you see a lot of I was just gonna say and then also I'm not saying to have those I'll say weaknesses turn into strengths but like you were saying there with them being able to cope with it and to be the badasses that they are they usually do have to overcome and learn how to cope. They have to tap into some kind of strength that mm-hmm. that they do have because of their experiences and how they are in this way. Yeah, I want to say, and again, I like my little psychology hat on. We do a lot of policing on how we phrase things and how we talk about things. And ultimately, a lot of times when we do that unintentionally from the best places ourselves, we end up silencing people because the way that people naturally talk about especially in mental health, when they're starting out in it, right? And they're starting to recognize that they have a problem. They're going to consider it a weakness. They're not going to call it like, oh, a possible future strength. And they're going to think something's wrong. With them. They're going to feel like something's wrong. And you would see people being like, oh, you can't talk like that. It's like, first off, a psychologist or psychologist would never say that to somebody. Like, And again, yeah. I, I get that you're coming from a good place, but there are ways that we naturally tend to think of ourselves. And you don't feel like it's a strength, especially when you're when you're really in the thick of it, right? Like when you really, because I do think a lot of times, like you, you go a long time without realizing that there's something going on. It, I don't know if 
if it ever becomes like a strength to people. But the thing is, what is they become stronger, that person. Exactly. That's the way. And they learn how to adapt. These are things that sometimes like some anxieties are environmentally caused, just like depression or things that are happening. But others, it's never going to go away. Like you're going to live every day with this. So you learn how to live with it, you know, and you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days, whether you're on medication or not. And I feel like that is where the person becomes stronger because you have to still keep going, even when it doesn't feel like you can. And you have to come above that. And so that's where I think the strength comes in. It comes in with that person still getting up the next day. And because that is, if you have something, you know, you've dealt with it, you know, someone that that sometimes can feel impossible for people to do. And, you know, and that does require a lot of strength. Definitely. I know we're we're coming up on time. So we do have a few more questions we want to ask. It was announced earlier this year that For Blood and Ash is being developed into an Amazon show. First of all, fucking congratulations. That (laughs) is so epic and cool. What was it like to learn that news? It was exciting. I mean, but I don't let myself get too excited because like I've been through many, many actions that have just petered out. Um, that is 99.0% of them are gonna go nowhere. That is just what happens in, in this industry. But you do get excited because you know, yeah. there was there's a lot of stuff that I couldn't talk about that was happening before Amazon Studios acquired it. It was with a relatively pretty well known producer. For a long time and well, not a long time, but for a while. And, but then he couldn't take it because he ended up doing something else. And once yeah, I learned what it was, I was like, oh, I completely understand. <laughs> I would do that too. Amazon came a knock in and I talked to them. I remember the call I got on a Zoom call with all of them. And it was really funny too, because there's like two other people on the call named Jennifer. So it was just <laughs> nobody knew like who you were talking The about. battle of the Jennifers. Yes. <laughs> but one thing I loved about it is the main guy who oversees everything. Every other person was a woman on the Zoom call. Like the leads of all. And these were like their top people of each of those departments. And he kind of stepped aside and let them talk. And I, that right there yes. immediately, like, okay, I like this because he knows and recognizes that, yes, Amazon Studios Basically, what also happened is that they kind of realized that they didn't have anything really in their lineup at that time, except for one or two things, a very small percentage that really went after women viewers who really went after that. Like they did have, you know, obviously the summer I turned pretty was coming out and showed them that there's a huge audience for this, like and Outlander and stuff like that, where they were like, we want that. At the same time, we want to appeal to everyone, you know, and I think with Blood and Ash and some of the other fantasy they've recently acquired, there is the other appeal of like action, things like that that they bring in. But it, I really like that they took the helm and listened to them talk. And eventually the screenwriter they brought in and the producers, you know, they knew what to focus on. Like they knew what was important, you know, because ultimately when you do go into an option, you often can be listed as a producer. That's cool. But that's usually like a pat on the head. Like, Thanks like, for your contribution. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> like, we'll, we'll ask a question, but we've already made up our minds, like type of thing. So, and that's not yes. the case all the time. Like, but like usually, like when you're an ex- author as an executive producer, I always feel like you have like one thing that you can die on, but you have to loosen the reins because then they will just stop yeah. working with you. So, but it was very exciting, you know, hopefully that it'll continue. Um, things have been you know, delayed with the strikes and, and rightfully so, because some of those yeah. contracting yep. is insane, but hopefully it, it gets picked back up and 
we'll see something. Congratulations. We're, I will speak for both of us and say we are foaming out the mouth to watch it. <laughs> so excited. And then just our last question here, we call, we call you the queen of romanticy on, on Book Talk. And we just... How, what is it like having such a big following? Not, I'll say, you know, uh, book talk, bookstagram, just on social media and being, I'll just say it, a, a big powerhouse on there. And how in the world do you manage your inbox? Because we need tips. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that title of the queen, I don't know if you can hear my dog. They're barking. I feel like that title I, that has to be shared there, you know, to yes, be like, yes, I, absolutely. Yeah, there are many, many of them who I feel like are right up there and can share that title. I like to call myself a princess of it. <laughs> I feel okay, like, Hawk. <laughs> we'll just go in the mass, you, mass verse and yeah. it can be one of the six queens. Yes. There and I, yeah, I feel, yeah. So it's like, I'll be like one of them. But I don't think of my, like, as you could probably tell, I don't think of myself as that. Like, I don't think of myself as a powerhouse of anything so other than procrastination that I'm probably a powerhouse of but um you know I kind of live by this mantra I've been very lucky with having these extremely high moments in my career like wait for you was one of them um or the luck series was another where it's like I felt like holy shit I've made it I've made it especially wait for you when it hit number one on the New York Times list I was like I made it and then all the other books, I had this notion that if you hit the New York Times list that high, you're just going to continue because mocking news, the New York Times is not based on actual sales. It's based on sales from certain places. So it's not an actual representation of someone's sales. It's where they're coming from yeah. and they're weighted differently. Several of the books that came out after Way For You did well, was on the list. And then it started, like it didn't collapse, but you know, you could see like just a decline. Like most people's careers are like hilly. They go up and down, but right. I've been lucky that I feel like I've had it happen once, twice, and then three times with Blood and Ash. And knowing that this sad reality is that doesn't happen once for most authors. Like it just doesn't. And, and to have it happen is, I feel like very humbling because I know like, that I didn't start off with a big deal, right? Who their first book went to auction, blockbuster deal. And I had to pull, you know, myself up in the, in the industry. So yeah. I kind of stick that way because again, it's like, I always feel like if you start believing your own hype is the moment things go sideways. And really the moment where your books just, they're shit at that point, because you really stop trying. And so I just, I don't ever let myself look at it that way because I just I don't know it yeah. I feel like you just would be a really like shitty person to be around <laughs> like, <in my> <laughs> no, that, I don't yeah that makes absolute sense and I'm yeah. sure that it's also just like you you have so much going on where it's almost like you got to kind of keep that tunnel vision in its yeah. own way to yeah. stay focused on the outcome which is the good writing which is these good yeah. character developments and plots and all of that because like a lot of the people like will say like you know i don't read negative reviews because they can get stuck in your head and that's true but what you also don't know is positive reviews can also get stuck in your head because when you do have a larger readership it's like you start thinking oh how do i keep them it's like you, you can't do it like and when you write you can't keep everyone happy but like when you really think about how many people are reading your book, it, it does get a little like, oh, no, but what if you start thinking about things you cannot think about when you're writing because you just yeah. end up spinning your heels the whole time, like trying to satisfy well, people. And going back to our previous conversation about killing off characters that you might be mad at. And then sometimes you do realize that you have to 
for the emotional impact for the story to move forward, you have to get rid of a character who people would like. And I'm sure that when that happens, there's a, what some a little bit of an edge, like, oh, geez, they're going to be mad I'm at about me. to piss some people <laughs> off. Yeah. Yeah. And some people do get upset, um, you know, but usually when that happens, like people are more sad than they are angry, at least from exactly. what I've yeah. seen. Usually when you want to make people angry is messing with who they decide that the love interest should be. And then that yep. can be like, ooh, it gets, it gets scary out there <laughs> in the internet. And you've seen it like happen also in like other books where it's just like, it's, you know, it, it can become a thing because people do get really attached to the characters. I mean, and honestly, like some readers who've gotten angry about that kind of stuff would not probably like to admit this, but that is to say something about that author writing that character. You know what I mean? So real that this does feel like yeah. real people to you. And so I think that's a testament, you know, either to your writing or your storytelling. Oh, that's a beautiful way of looking at it. I, I love, love that. that. That's a very half full kind of way of looking at it. I love it. As you're rocking in the corner and, you know, not holding a dog for Well, Jennifer, we have one last question for you. And this is a spoiler for Blood and Ash, but I could not sit down with you and not ask this question because it's become a regular joke on the podcast of Honeydew. (laughs) How the hell did you come up with Honeydew? (laughs) It's funny because like I like read a lot of historical romance when I was a teenager because when I was a teenager, there wasn't a huge young adult section. It was just like R.L. Stein, L.J. Smith, Christopher Pike, and that was about it. So I ended up reading historical romance and it was like the old school legitimate goddess rippers like Joanna Lindsay, like like that. Often you would read that like there will always be this like just insane taste like where I'm like the person does not taste like strawberries down there like come on. <laughs> or like even now in some contemporary romances like there will you will see that attributed. Um, and it was me like poking fun at ourselves because we write things that are impossible in that sense. And so it was really started off as just me being silly. And one thing I don't like, I don't take myself that seriously. I don't take my, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I don't take my fantasy that serious. I like to have fun with it. And it was like, if people, for example, are in the, my reader group, like if they start catching on to something, like one of the things was casserole. And, and so they would, started saying it was a casserole and so I had wrote that into one of the books and so I'll do that sometimes just to have fun and that's what Honeydew was just like me being silly I never expected people to latch on to that as much but I think it's because of like Honeydew really yeah I was like is she just really into that particular melon yeah. like, I think I maybe have had Honeydew once like I don't I can't even remember like to be honest with you but it was really me just like also, and not so much poking fun, but more of like doing a nod to the the writing style that kind of came before. And that was just something if you read any of the old school historicals, it's almost always in the books would be a taste. And that's just something that just stuck in my head and I decided it would be a funny thing. And then it just became a, a thing <laughs> at that point. Perfect. That is the that's best answer I could have ever hoped for. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Oh my God. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here with us today. This has been a dream to talk to you. We, I have a copy of this book right here, which came out last week, A Fire in the Flesh, which is the third in your Flesh and Fire series. You also had A Fall of Ruin and Wrath come out. I cannot wait to get my hands on that book, but you've been busy, ma'am. Thank you (laughs) so much for being here. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for having me. 
That was amazing. I'm speechless. <laughs> that was incredible. If you want to get your hands on one or a plethora of Jennifer's <laughs> books, we've got the Amazon storefront with a kitten caboodle of her books in our show notes or if you're watching on YouTube in the caption. And when you do order from our Amazon shop, it's absolutely no extra cost to you and you are directly supporting Fantasy Fangirls. So if you're going to buy, please Please do buy us from us. <laughs> that just sounds like a win-win. And you make Lexi and I very happy and we cry with joy. We know you are eager for more Fourth Wing content and Iron Flame content. Here is an exciting surprise. We are releasing our deep dive on Zayden's point of view chapters tomorrow. Was that Annie tomorrow? Was that your Annie tomorrow? Tomorrow, tomorrow. There is a reason we'll one of us got the musical tomorrow. theater degree. <laughs> wow. We will be getting into Zayden's head and sparring on the mat with Violet and then in his head after threshing. And oh my God, we cannot wait. And then, of course, if you need a quick refresher, November 20th, we are starting our Iron Flame deep dive. Unless you're a dragon rider with our Patreon in which you get it on the 19th. Hey, hey. Speaking of Patreon, Fantasy Fangirls is now on Patreon in case you missed it. You asked, we listened, we have decked out this Patreon beyond belief. So you not only have access to more Fantasy Fangirls content, but you are also supporting Lexi, myself, the whole Fantasy Fangirls team in one of the best and most direct ways possible. And so real quick, there's two tiers for the Patreon. First, we have our cadet level, which includes access to our Discord server and a monthly live Q&A with us. We just had our November live this past weekend we were all up in iron flame you betcha but you can still receive the on-demand recording of it if you join today and also at this cadet level you get a special 20% off the fantasy fangirls merchandise store and this cadet tier is five dollars a month but then if you are post threshing you've taken down people on the mat you've been inside Zayden's head during sparring lessons and you've bonded not one but two dragons we have our dragon riders tier this includes access to the Discord, the Q&As every single month, the discounted merch store, all of the things from the cadet level, but you also get access to all future deep dive episodes a full day early. Like we said, you get access to the Iron Flame deep dive a full day early. We know you guys are so excited, just like we are, to get that out into the world. You also get special voting privileges on things like interview questions. A lot of the interview questions that we had for this interview with Jennifer L. Armentrout were actually voted on by our Dragon Riders. Thanks, guys. You also get to help us pick archive topics. Iron Flame deep dives are coming up. We have a whole new slew of archives that our Dragon Riders are going to help us pick. And you'll also be voting on so much more. And last but not least with our Dragon Riders, you get access to every single one of Lexi and I's episode outlines for our deep dive episodes. Yes, those ones that are 30, 40 pages long, you get all of them. And this Dragon Rider tier is $10 a month. We understand that not everyone might be in a position to support, and that's totally fine. But if you are and you enjoy this content, you want more of it, plus you want to support Nicole, me, and the team, we would so, so, so appreciate when you join our Patreon. The link is in the show notes, or if you're watching on YouTube, it's in the caption. You all, your support has meant flipping everything to us on this journey, and we, we cannot wait to get started on Iron Flame with you all soon. But until then, we'll see you tomorrow for Zayden's POV Chapters. Bye!